It's been a grueling week at my job, but anytime I come to Hope Bible Church, I tell you it is a spiritual oasis to be among fellow saints of light and to open up God's word for you this morning. Uh, We had the opportunity to read and to listen to Psalm 23. It's really perhaps is one of the most familiar of the Psalms for any one of us here. It's often recited at funerals because the sadness of people during those times are raw and it's to the surface and the atmosphere is thick with grief. I mean, all you need to do is just look into those people's eyes and the tears speak it all. And Psalm 23 acts as an ointment. It acts as a bomb upon people's grieving souls. And King David is the author of this psalm who writes about the great providential care that Yahweh has for his people. And the proposition really in Psalm 23 is simple. It is an exceptionally personal and intimate psalm that David wrote out a full expression of his absolute dependence on his Lord, That's the proclamation of this psalm. And as a sword is unsheathed from one's back, King David proclaimed and explained in verse 1 that the anchor of his hope and the anchor of his comfort rests in none other than Yahweh, the Lord. He's not proclaiming some ancient Near Eastern deity who can't talk, who can't comprehend, who can't listen, who's who have been molded and shaped by the feebleness of the human hands of the fall. He's not proclaiming those false deities. He's proclaiming the one who thunders from the heavens and who rides upon the wings of the wind. That is who he is proclaiming. He's proclaiming the God who covers his hands with lightning and commands it to strike the mark. He's proclaiming the one whose sword is bathed in the very heavens and whose power is in the sky. Friend, before we ever come to the emerald throne of grace, do we even comprehend who it is that we are dealing with? Do we even know the one to whom we are addressing when we even proclaim and we even say his name? Or do we just use his word flippantly? And blaspheme his name. To whom will you compare him, Hope Bible Church? Or who is his equal, says the Holy One? And Zechariah proclaimed him as such in Zechariah 14.9. He says, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. And in the name of the Lord, in that day, the Lord will be the only one. And his name the only one. That's who David is proclaiming. And throughout the psalm, it's all too clear to the peoples of the nation whom David worships. It's the shepherd king Yahweh. What do people know about you privately and in public, at work? Do they know the one to whom you worship? Or do you try to hide him? And so my hope and prayer for you and for me is that we would so be carried along as we seek to try to understand what David understood as he penned Psalm 23. And so for David, his hymn of proclamation, his hymn of confidence is that the Lord is his shepherd. It all begins with who you know. It all begins with who you know. Do you know this shepherd king? 
The imagery is that of a shepherd. It's applied to the Lord that King David was all too familiar with because as a young boy, his father Jesse had, had appointed him to tend the family sheep in an arid landscape of Judea. That was his primary obligation. And so David understood that when he left the protection of his village with his herd, that he was essentially alone and that he was on his own. Neither his father nor his mother or his siblings were there to protect him should something befall him. If he traveled too far away, the potential of death was a very real thing to this young man. Looming are, are the dangers, even still today, looming are the dangers of the Middle East. Just, just turn the TV on. It's ever-present. What happened then still happens today. Kenneth Bailey writes, who spent much of his time in the Middle East, he wrote this, quote, I am aware of the special experience of surrendering to the mercies of the wilderness or the desert of the Middle East. Listen, as a father, look, get this, you know this, mothers and fathers, as a father, I have a very difficult time surrendering my kids to half an acre of a backyard, let alone to the arid wilderness of, the, of Judea. I have a very difficult time. You can even ask my wife. I am very protective. Fathers who have daughters, you know, <laughs> and sons. But that's where this brave and ruddy shepherd boy was much of his time tending to the sheep in an airward wilderness, looming with dangers. His background was preparatory including that of killing a lion and a bear. A young boy killing a lion and a bear? Yes. As the Lord would so use this young boy's experiences to shape him into the man the Lord wanted him to be, to be a shepherd. So David takes the shepherding imagery and sees the Lord as the great shepherd king. And because the Lord is his shepherd, he writes, I shall not want. I shall not want. The verb, it, it means to lack. It means to, to be without, to not have. That is to say, you can say it this way, I shall not lack. I shall not be without. I shall not want. It doesn't mean to get everything you want. So when David is with his shepherd, King Yahweh, he sees himself as one of the sheep, never lacking in whatever he needs because God is with him. He doesn't mention the need for power. He doesn't mention the need for control. He only mentions those basic set of wants that the Lord provides, such as what's necessary for life, rescue and security, confidence in fear and in death, a place for God's people. Goodness and mercy, that's what David sees the Lord providing for him because that's what good shepherds do. Bad shepherds, I kid you not, bad shepherds are the antichrist of our day. They're the bane of our society. They're hirelings. All they do is provide a sea of damnation for people while exploiting the weak with whatever they can get. Philip Keller, he writes this about a bad shepherd that he knew. This is what, listen to what he said. He said, when all is said and done, the welfare of any flock is entirely dependent upon the management afforded them by their owner. The tenant sheepman on the farm next to my ranch was the most indifferent manager I have ever met. He was not concerned about the, about the condition of the sheep. 
His land was neglected. He gave little or no time to his flock, letting them pretty much well forward for themselves as best as they could, both summer and winter. They fell prey to dogs, to cougars, and rustlers. Every year, these poor creatures were forced to gnaw away at bare brown fields and impoverished pastures. Every winter, there was a shortage of nourishing hay and wholesome grain to feed the hungry ewes. Shelter to safeguard and protect the suffering sheep from storms and blizzards was scanty and inadequate. They only had polluted, muddy water to drink. There had been a lack of salt and other trace minerals needed to offset their, their sickly pastures. In their thin, weak, and diseased condition, these poor sheep were a pathetic sight. In my mind's eye, I can see them standing at the fence, huddled sadly in little knots, staring wistfully through the wires at the rich pastures on the other side. To all their distress, the heartless, selfish owners seemed utterly callous and indifferent. He simply didn't care. What if his sheep did want green grass, fresh water, shade, safety, or shelter from the storms? What if they did want relief from the wounds, bruises, disease, and parasites? He ignored their needs. He, he couldn't care less. Why? Why should he? They were just sheep, right? Fit only for the slaughterhouse. I have become increasingly aware of one thing. It is the master in people's lives makes the difference in their destiny. Despite an unparalleled wealth and material assets, we are outstandingly insecure and unsecure of ourselves as well nigh bankrupt in spiritual values. Always men are searching for safety beyond themselves. They're restless, unsettled, covetous, greedy for more, wanting this and that, yet never really being satisfied in spirit. By contrast, the simple Christian, get this, the humble person, the shepherd's sheep, can stand up and proudly boast, and you know this, the Lord is my shepherd, and you know the rest, I shall not want. End quote. O oh, follower of Christ, I do hope, I do pray that you are feasting on the rich pastures of God's word at his church. I do hope that you are taking advantage of every opportunity to eat from the marrow of God's word. How grieving it is to me who who has the opportunity to oversee several different ministries here at Hope Bible Church to see a very few amount of people at Growing Disciples at first hour completely neglecting the marrow of God's word. I understand that there are exceptions and there are, are sometimes you can't just make it. Look, I get that. I get that. What is the characteristic of your life is what I'm trying to get at. Our Lord has provided everyone. He's provided all that is necessary for life and godliness. You don't need nothing else. You don't need anything else. But I can say to the unbeliever who may be here, this morning, I mean, how has the world been treating you? How has the unredeemed marketplace been treating your soul? Are you in need? Are you hungry? I believe that you've come to the right place. I believe that you've come to the right place because your soul is gaunt and because it's been left in the unredeemed marketplace, left, it's a damnable void out there and the embers of hell fly upward. It's ready to swallow you. And there is one shepherd, there is one shepherd of the sheep who has the power to redeem you and to blow into the sinner's nostrils the breath of salvation. Repent and turn from your sin. Turn to Christ who said what? I am the what? 
the good shepherd. He's good. For Christ is the good shepherd, ready to open the gates of salvation, leading into the celestial city, to the land of milk and honey. That's your inheritance, Hope Bible Church. That's your inheritance. So in verse 1, that is David's proclamation. That is the proclamation for you. That is the proclamation for you, for, uh, for me. It should be the proclamation every day. He's our shepherd. Come to the good shepherd. We don't need anything else. And after verse one, David gives to us four glorious expectations. Our shepherd cares for the needs of his sheep. Four glorious expectations. Our shepherd cares for the needs of his sheep. Verse two, the Lord gives what is necessary for life. He gives what is necessary for life. Look at what it says. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And the idea is that the shepherd finds a place, green pastures, where the sheep can lay down and rest. And the amazing thing about this is that sheep can't be forced to lie down. You can't force a sheep to lie down. Sheep will only lie down when they don't sense a threat by wild animals or are disturbed by insects. You can't force them down. Sheep lie down when they've, when they've eaten their fill of food and they've had enough to drink and they don't sense any threat upon them at all. Then and only then will sheep settle down. Sheep can easily be disturbed. That's, what some, that's why when you look at some of the translations, it, it, it literally says, he settles me down. The shepherd settles me down. Philip Keller says this. He says, the unique as- aspect of the picture is that it is only the sheepman himself who can provide release from these anxieties. It all depends upon the diligence of the owner whether or not his flock is free of disturbing influences. It is not generally known that sheep are timid and easily panicked, that even a stray jackrabbit suddenly bounding from behind a bush can stampede a whole flock. When one startled sheep runs in fright, a dozen others will bolt with blind fear, not waiting to see what frightens them. They are helpless, timid, feeble creatures whose only recourse is to run. Two dogs have been known to kill as many as 292 sheep in a night of unbridled slaughter. One morning at dawn, I found nine of my choice ewes, all soon to lamb, lying dead in the field because a cougar had carried the flock during the night. From then on, I slept with a 303 rifle and flashlight in my bed. At, the least, at least the sound of the flock being disturbed, I would leap from bed and calling my faithful collie, dash out into the, into the night, rifle in hand, ready to protect my sheep. In the course of time, I came to realize that nothing so quiet, so quieted and reassured my sheep as to see me in the field. The presence of their master and owner and protector put them at ease as nothing else could do. And it's applied day and night. Friend, nothing so quiets the turbulence of the human soul than to know that your shepherd king is nearby. Nothing so quiets the soul than to know that the shepherd king is nearby. I mean, isn't that what the apostle Peter said? Lord, where are we going to go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? 
for the lamb in the, is in the center of the throne, Revelation 7, will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. The prophet Ezekiel wrote that our shepherd king will, quote, feed his people in good pasture. They will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture. I will feed my flock. I will lead them to rest. He promised. Why do we pretend as though he breaks promises? Why do we get so discouraged? He promised. Is that not good enough for us? But the unbeliever who's feasted for years and years off God's common grace, whom the Apostle Paul speaks to them as thinking, quote, lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, these things that should have led to their repentance. Romans 2, verse 4. These people is, is also is described in the book of Ezekiel. He describes them as the fat and the strong. It says that the shepherd king will destroy them. He will feed them with judgment. Ezekiel 34, 16. And so when Christ comes, what a day that will be. When he comes to plant his footsteps upon this earth, upon the unregenerate landscape, people, the unbelieving world, will hear his thundering footsteps headed right in their direction. And they will not escape the white flame of his judgment. Can you? The white flame of his judgment that shatters the rocks in pieces. And what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Revelation 6 tells us they will cry out to the mountains, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb, for great is that day, for the great day of their wrath has come. Who is able to stand? Who is able to stand? Now you would think that they'd repent, right? You would think that the king has finally come. He's finally stepped his foot upon this earth. But they run. They run. Begging to be buried in rocks. Look, your only escape is to come to terms with this shepherd king. There is no, you know, look, there is no two-way street. Okay? There's no two-way street. You must surrender your life over to Christ if you want to live. But you want to know what his terms of surrender are? Right in Mark, it is so sweet. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must what? <laughs> he must deny himself. You got to deny yourself. You got to deny your passions. Deny your worldview. Deny your life. Throw out the worldview that you hold on to. And embrace the worldview of Christ. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Verse 36. For what does it profit a man who gains everything, who gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? That's the Lord's terms. The Lord's terms are simple. Surrender. Surrender. 
And when you come to terms of surrender, you will finally understand, alongside with other saints of light who are here, have come to understand that our shepherd gives rescue and security. In verse 3, this is the next expectation. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. He gives rescue and security. The Lord provides rescue and security, verse 3. Oh, the wonders of salvation. The wonders of his grace. And what an absolutely fascinating phrase. He restores my soul. Literally, David is saying, he brings me back. He returns me back. That is, once the shepherd sees that he is missing one of his sheep, he goes out to look for it. And upon finding the sheep, he picks it up and he returns the sheep back. He brings the sheep back to the fold. David uses the Hebrew term, it's shuv. Shuv, it means to return. But in our English, we call this repent. Repent. The phrase is actually is, is also in the Hebrew, it's, it's, it's causative. Meaning that the shepherd is the cause of my return. The shepherd is the cause of your return. Doesn't that not sound familiar? That kind of imagery? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What, you thought you were the cause of your salvation? You think that you could raise yourself from the dead? Could Lazarus do it? Here, Lazarus, Lazarus, come on, get up. Come on, get up, Lazarus. No, only the shepherd king, the one who could speak and breathe life into his soul, said, Lazarus, come forth. Causative, that's the idea. Christ is the cause of our salvation. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. It's the the divine side of salvation. Only the shepherd king can bring me back to the arms of his grace. You know, I used to believe, I used to believe that I found Jesus. But then the more I learned about God's word, I later came to the realization that Jesus was lost. I was. And he found me. Here's some more from another shepherd. Shepherds in Lebanon told me that once a sheep knows that it is lost, it tries to hide under a bush or rock and begins quivering and bleeding. Oh, man. The shepherd must locate it quickly lest it be heard and killed by a wild animal. On being found, it's usually too traumatized to walk. It must be carried back to the flock or to the village. End quote. So then the shepherd must go after the sheep. But get this. Get this, church. The shepherd must not only go after the sheep, but in order to do that, look, this is just background. This is cultural background that I'm just giving to you. In order for the sheep to do that, he must pay a redemption price. A costly price to redeem the lost sheep. If the shepherd doesn't do these things, the lost sheep can't find their way home. 
The only hope for lost sheep is for the shepherd to pay a price, to find them and to bring them home. Is not the cross of Christ sown into the heart of this psalmist? Is not the cross of Christ overflowing from the pen of this psalmist? Was it not Christ who said about himself, I am the good shepherd? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He paid a redemption price to go after the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But he who is a hired hand, not a shepherd, who's not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Christ said. My, I know my own. In other words, I know where my sheep are. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. John chapter 10. Here's some more from a shepherd. Quote, there remains the moving realization that we have been bought with a price, that we are really not our own, and he is well within his right to lay claim upon our lives. I recall quite clearly how in my first venture with sheep, the question of paying a price for my ewes was so terribly important. They belonged to me, and only by virtue of the fact that I paid hard cash for them. It was money earned by the blood and sweat and tears drawn from my body, which had been laid down with this day in mind. And because of this, I felt in a special way that they were a very, they're a very truth, a part of me and I a part of them. There was an intimate identity involved, which though not apparent on the surface to the casual observer, nonetheless made those 30 ewes exceedingly precious to me. But the day I bought them, I so realized that That was but the first stage in a long-lasting endeavor in which from then on, I would, as their owner, have to continually lay down my life for them if they were to flourish and to prosper. Isaac Watts wrote, My shepherd will supply my need. Jehovah is his name. In pastures fresh he makes me feed besides the living stream. He brings my wandering spirit back when I forsake his ways and leads me for his mercy's sake in paths of truth and grace. That's where he leads me. And then you have in the latter part of Psalm 23, verse three, we read that the shepherd king guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, not for your sake, for his name's sake. The word path, by the way, literally refers to, to tracks. In other words, the shepherd already knows the path. He already knows the tracks, so to speak. He already knows the way in which to guide his sheep. He already knows the right direction. We don't know it. He's the only one who knows. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? How do we know the tract? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is precisely the sort of action, an idea that David had in mind when he spoke of being led in paths of righteousness. It's exactly what he's talking about. The imagery is absolutely amazing. And those who follow the God of righteousness are themselves righteous. Those who imitate the shepherd king will reflect the righteousness of their master. 
And only the shepherd king can keep the sheep from wandering right off the face of a cliff. Why? Because his reputation depends on it. That's what he said. It's for his name's sake. He put his name on the line for you. For his sheep. That's the punchline that David has in mind. The Lord leads his people for the sake of his name. Followers of light, the great shepherd of the sheep, always acts in a way that is consistent with his nature. He always acts in a way that's consistent with his character. He leads us along the right path. All of us are works in progress. He saved us. It is accomplished in the past. And he continues to do that good work. He that began a good work in you will what? (laughs) You know it. You already know. I don't got to tell you. We'll perfect it. We'll mature it until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.6. Psalm 8 says, I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice. Righteousness, righteousness will go before him to prepare the, the way for his steps. Psalm 85, verse 13. So the Lord gives what's necessary for life. It's who he is. It's what he does. Verse 2. The Lord gives rescue and security. Verse 3. The Lord gives confidence through fear and death. The Lord gives confidence through fear and death. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They bring me comfort. Pause for one second. Notice that the psalmist writes about and speaks about the shepherd king taking him, quote, through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't take him around it. He takes them through it, through it. What's also interesting is that some other translations say it this way, through the valley of deep darkness or through the darkness of death, literally, through the darkness of death because the shepherd is with David. The shepherd king is shoulder to shoulder with David even when it gets so dark. Even at death's door. And so David was very conversant with the Middle Eastern terrain where where there are so many steep and narrow valleys and gorges. And it was especially treacherous to walk through these valleys, especially during the night, because if you didn't have somebody to guide you in the valley, you could walk right off a cliff because you couldn't see the danger. If the path took a sharp turn in one direction or the other and you were not familiar with the terrain, you could fall right to your death. It's not one of those delicate slopes down. It's not one of those things that we picture in our mind. It's dangerous. Believe it or not, the safest route, you had to walk through. You had to walk through. The shepherd had to walk the sheep through the valley of deep darkness. And in most cases, it was all that one could do. There were no other options but to go right through. One shepherd writes this. He said, just south of Jerusalem, Jericho Road, there's an actual valley of the shadow of death in Palestine. Every shepherd knows about it. The writer goes on and says, I had the good fortune of having at least a passing view of this valley. 
It is a very narrow defile through a mountain range where the water often foams and roars, torn by jagged rocks. The path plunges downward into a deep and narrow gorge of sheer precipices overhung by frowning sphinx-like battlements of rocks which almost touch the overhead. Its side walls rise like the, like the stone of walls of a great cathedral. The valley is about five miles long, yet it is not more than 12 feet at the widest section of the base. The actual path on the solid rock is so narrow that in places the sheep can hardly turn around in case of danger. In places, gullies seven and eight feet have been washed. Valleys of the shadow of death are paths in which wind in between mountains were there are dark shadows and deep gorges. Travelers march slowly and silently in order to avoid being seen or heard by bandits. The fear of death is constantly in their minds. They tremble. They expect trouble or death at any time while they are passing through the valley of deep darkness. David understood this. He understood this. He knew the imagery. He traversed it. He understood the experiences all too well. He applies these real experiences in order to illustrate a spiritual punchline. There will come a time in our lives when the shepherd will take his people through valleys of deep darkness, even to the very doors of death, the darkness of death where there is no life. The shepherd king is there. But it's going to be okay. There's no fear because his shepherd is there, Yahweh. And when those days will come, and it will come for all of us, we will cross those bridges when we get there. And when it comes time for the shepherd king to defend his sheep, he will rise. He will rise. He's prepared with both rod and staff. With the rod, the shepherd fights, and with the staff, he guides and pulls the sheep out of small holes that they fall into. How many holes we've fallen into in our life, man? Man, how many holes we've fallen into? Man, and he's pulled us out by his grace. Spiritual punchline. If the Lord is your shepherd, he will lead you through those times when it just seems so dark like it is, like it does seem now at Hope Bible Church. When our shepherd, Tom Leake, is sick and he's ill, he will lead Pastor Leake. He will lead us. He will fight when it comes time to fight. He will rescue when it comes time to rescue The Lord will fight for you. He promised. You need only be still. Christ, look, listen, this is so great. Christ has has his heel pressed down upon the neck of death as he waves you to pass through to the celestial city. To the home of the great king. To his home. I mean, what did he say in Matthew 28? Lo, I am with you what? I'm with you always. I'm with you always. When I walk through the shades of death, his presence is my stay. One word of his supporting grace <laughs> drives all my fears away. The Lord gives what's necessary for life. Verse two. The Lord gives rescue and security. Verse three. The Lord gives confidence through fear and death, verse four. The Lord gives a place for his people, 
Verse five, you have a home. Oh, Bible church, you have a home. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Before sheep ever grazed, before they ever came to graze in the Middle Eastern landscape, what the shepherds would do is they would, they would first go ahead of the sheep to survey the landscape to locate which areas has the best foliage, has the best water, has the, be- the best safe areas for the sheep to graze. And the shepherd would do this more than once. They would go out more than once before the sheep ever got out there. They would drive out even killing animals such as snakes from the grazing area. They would look for poisonous weeds as much as they could find. So long as the presence of the shepherd was there to go before the sheep, the natural enemies of the sheep, they could do nothing but watch and hunger. And so King David, I mean, we all know, we know that he had his share of enemies. We know he had, even in his own household, he had his share of enemies. Early in his lifetime, the enemies would often mock him for his belief in the Lord, would often mock him, such that the Lord or I should say, David would cry out, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? How long shall my enemy, be, my enemy be exalted over me? Psalm 13. And after the Lord raised up David, the providential tables have now turned. Now David sits as king over Israel, feasting, while his enemies can do nothing but watch him rise to power. The Lord having gone before David to make preparations for his kingship. And David goes on to say that the Lord anoints his head with oil. His cup just overflows. Overflows. Here is a picture of the shepherd king rubbing oil on the head of David, which is, a, which is indicative or a sign of blessing. Also, even in the... In the, uh, the Ancient Near East, it is the women who are the host preparing meals and, de- and a drink for the men. But here it is a picture of the Lord preparing such a banquet and pouring so much wine in David's cup that it's indicative of blessing. Blessing, overflowing blessing. The imagery is, is, is likened to the blessing in a similar way to the, you know, the land of milk and honey in the days of Joshua. That kind of imagery when he and Israel were about to enter into the promised land. And so our shepherd, Hope Bible Church, our shepherd has gone before us. He has gone ahead of us. He has defeated death. He has provided atonement for us on the cross. He has provided salvation for us on the cross. He has provided an inheritance for us, a celestial city. He's provided a bodily resurrection for us because he is the first fruits of the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. He's given to us an inheritance, an eternal kingdom that's that's not going to pass away. And get this, Christ has prepared a feast for us in the kingdom while the sons of darkness are cast away into the eternal flame as onlookers in torment. I'm not joking, by the way. I think it's kind of humorous in my mind. I'm not joking about the feast, by the way. I'm not joking at all. Turn to, if you want to, Isaiah 25, 6. Isaiah 25, 6, I'm going to read it for you really quick. This is a millennial kingdom promise. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples 
a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. End quote. I think that's where R.C. Sproul is right now. That's where we're all going to be. The Feast of Abraham. The king is present with things that we just don't deserve. Does not your cup just run over? Friend, at the graciousness of the good shepherd king, his hand in sight of all my foes does still my table spread, my cup with blessing overflows, his oil anoints my head. The Lord gives goodness and mercy. The Lord gives goodness and mercy. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. How long is forever? Forever. How long is that? There's no time. Forever. I mean, what is it like to live in forever? What is it like to live in forever? What is it like to live in the New Jerusalem, 1,500 miles in vertical, looking up through translucent gold at your home? 1,500 miles. That's above our atmosphere. What is it like? That's your home. The thing is so big that the Lord has to what? Behold, I make a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Oh, sons and daughters of light, you have no idea. I have no idea what we are in store for. That is your shepherd king. You know, apparently sheep get happy. I didn't know that. They just just kind of just, you know, just look at you. If you ever stare at them, just... (laughs) But apparently they get happy. They get happy. They really do. And when the shepherd opens the gate for the sheep to enter into fresh green pasture, as the sheep pass by their shepherd and through the gate in excitement, they will leap and they will kick up their heels. You know why? Because they smell, the, they smell and they see the sight of fresh foliage. That makes them happy. It makes them happy. You know, in the book of Acts, we read about King David. The Apostle Paul wrote about, uh, that after... Uh, David had served the purpose of God in his own generation. It said what? He said in chapter 13, verse 36, he fell asleep. No doubt David had his days of adversity. We know that. Whether he sinned or whether he was sinned against, he had his days of adversity. You're familiar with his life. You're familiar with the adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband that he did by his own hand. You're familiar with the adversity in his own house with his children that ended in death of his son Absalom and so, so much more. You know, but despite, despite his many years of adversity, he still says, goodness and mercy followed him all the days of his life. Despite all of his adversity, he says, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of his life because he follows the shepherd king. Goodness and mercy is the necklace adorned upon those who follow the shepherd king 
who sits upon an emerald throne. In other words, because the Lord was good to David and because the Lord loved David, the Lord will dwell with him and he will dwell with the Lord forever. Jesus said, truly, truly, amen, amen, Jesus said. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The sure provisions of my God attend me all my days, Isaac Watts said. Oh, your house be my abode and all my work be praise. There would I find a settled rest where others go and come. No more a stranger nor a guest, but like a child at home. Hope Bible Church. The Lord has given to us a shepherd. He's fed us God's word. At times he's rebuked us. Many times he's loved us. Many times he's cared for us. Many times he's guided us. That man is Tom Leake. And he needs your prayers. Many times this man has been behind the scenes bringing people back to the fold of God's grace. Many years has this man thundered God's word from the pulpit. On many occasions, this man has pulled us out of valleys of deep darkness. He's seen many things. And now he is the one in the valley of deep darkness and he needs our prayers. He needs our prayers for the Lord of hosts. We petitioned the Lord of hosts to pick up his servant and walk him through the valley of darkness, even if it be into the celestial city beyond the horizon. So pray for him that the Lord's will would be done. Can you do that? Friend, one day also, our eyes are going to close and they will open and we will find ourselves breathing celestial air. And we will see the great celestial city with our own eyes and there will be a great lion standing at the gate. You know, Revelation 22 talks about these great giant pearls, giant gates to get into the city, giant angels at each gate. Pearls, people. (laughs) Giant pearls. Not sure what gate we're going to be walking through. I just know that the line will be there. We're going to see the great celestial city with our own eyes. And what do you think you will do after bowing low before your shepherd king? What he, what he will say to you. When he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge over many things. Enter into the joy of your master. I'm totally convinced and I know that you are that that is exactly what Pastor Leek will hear as he runs with joy into the celestial city to sit before the feet of him who sits on a throne of emerald grace. We're gonna be with him someday. That's a promise. 
And surely goodness and mercy will follow us, will follow him, will follow us all, all, all the days, all the days of our lives. And we together, like David, I, we, will dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? (laughs) Forever. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing, everything good, everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. And all of God's people said, Amen.